0: Hello, and welcome to The Writing Forge, where we discuss tips and tricks for honing your writing. I'm Bonnie. I'm Miranda. And we're your hosts. Let's, Let's get, get
1: into it. it. Hello, and welcome to The Writing Forge. I'm Miranda. I'm Bonnie. And today we have our guest with us, who is Tamara Cribley and she is going to be talking with us about interior book design, not just the cover, but the inside. Which I'm really excited about because I think that's a oft-neglected portion
0: of book publishing. But anyway, tomorrow, why don't you start by telling us how you got to where you are in the writing world today?
2: Yeah, thank you for having me. I've been a, a graphic designer for nearly 20 years, and Around about 2013, I had a friend who started writing, and she was publishing with a micro-publisher. And the covers were awful, and the interiors were awful. <laughs> and, and it was a great experience. But <laughs> she, um, she started doing cover, and she brought me in to do interior design. And it's something I have loved and done ever since, and it is my full-time gig now.
0: That, that was a very succinct story. I, I... <laughs> 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 That's good. That gives us lots of time to talk about the insides of books.
1: So why is the design of the inside of your book important like clearly we all know it is but in your words why is it important
2: i think it's a really overlooked part of the design process especially in independent publishing because when you look at books you know when you'll get a tra- traditionally published book you don't see the formatting you don't notice it um, and you don't see it until it's done poorly and Especially in the early days of self-publishing, you saw a lot of really <laughs> difficult, <laughs> difficultly designed manuscripts. And it becomes really distracting, and it takes the reader away from what's actually important, and that's your story.
1: Okay, so when when we're talking about how something is designed when it comes to the inside of the book, what specifically are we talking about? Are we talking about like letter spacing? Are we talking about chapter setup, are headings? I have a first question first, just
0: okay. when we say book design— Does that encompass just the inside? Like, Is the phrase book design used for everything about a book that's designed or just the inside? It's
2: a good question. I think it's used interchangeably, depending on where you're speaking. When I talk about it, I'm usually talking about the interior. It's the typesetting. It's your margins. It's your page layout. It's going to be the fonts, font sizes, the spacing. It's all of those things between the covers. Okay, that's kind of what I thought. I
0: wanted to say, um, just like you were saying, book design, like a lot of things about publishing books, is one of the things that you don't notice until it's done poorly. That, right. That's the sign of a good, you know, a good editor or a good book designer is that you can't tell that they've been there, but as soon as they haven't been there, you can tell. It's also something that I hadn't really paid too much attention to until as... um working on the anthology for writing heights um i don't actually do the the formatting but i'm i'm one of the editors and so i always look over it and our director formats it i think using vellum i'm not certain um and just realizing the constraints of that program too like one of the things we ran into is somehow whatever she's using like we have to have the title of the chapter has to be a certain way down the page, which is fine when we're doing prose pieces, but then you come to a poem and it means that you only have like three lines of a poem until you go to the next page. And so we had to, and so we'd have some poets being like, why does my poem look so funny? And so going forward the next year, like this year, we told people, look, these are the dimensions, and it confused a fair number of people, but these are the dimensions that your poem has to fit in. And so if it doesn't, it's going to look funny, which is fine with us, but if it's going to bother you, then okay. either rework your poem now or don't submit it or.
1: I remember a
2: lot of JPEGs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's an interesting thing to bring up, just because you don't. There's a lot of nuances to making things fit on a page, and if you aren't comfortable with adjusting your line spacing or your letter spacing um, or margins or spacing between spacing between the header or the type, you know, the title and the first paragraph. If you don't think about those things, if they're not natural to you trying to figure it out to make it look right when you don't know what those tools are can be really challenging.
0: So um, what do you think are the most important elements of book design for self-published people to be aware of?
2: I think the first thing is really understanding who your audience is. That's going to inform a lot of your design decisions. So if you're designing for middle grade, that's going to be different than your 20-something romance reader versus your (laughs) 65-year-old memoir reader. You know, the, the different size and fonts, the readability, So really understanding who's reading your book and what is most comfortable to that audience. And you can do that by looking at traditionally published books. You can really compare your books to what's on the market Mm. and really do a good reality check. See if you're hitting... The right notes for your audience. Just random question: What's the worst font?
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, or maybe your least favorite.
2: (laughs) Well, I will tell you that Times New Roman is the one that gets thrown around all the time. I love Times as the standard, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and really, it was designed for newspaper columns for narrow columns. Yep. And so for long format books, it contributes to eye fatigue. Mm, Really? It's one of the fonts that is used improperly.
0: Hmm. So maybe I'm getting too technical here, but. Is it usually better to have a serif or a sans-serif font, do you find?
2: It'll depend a little bit on who your audience is. Generally, serif fonts are going to be... I like serifs. (laughs) Yeah, they're going to be the industry standard. But if you're writing a tech book Mm. and it's nonfiction and you have a whole lot of um, section breaks, then a sans-serif font might work really well.
0: Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) I love these things. And I don't know, do we need to know? People can look up what serifs and sans-serifs mean.
1: (laughs) It also doesn't take long. So sans-serif means that that the letters don't have the little feet and serif. You should probably correct us if we're wrong, but yeah. Please do, yes. (laughs) No, I
2: mean, that's what I would refer to them as in the layman terms. They're usually called terminations, but they are the little flourishes sort of at the edge of the letters.
0: What I've heard is that those can make it easier to read in some cases, to distinguish the letters and so forth.
2: Yeah, they can. And it's what most people are comfortable with reading in a printed format. Mm -hmm. Um, Online is a little bit different. You'll see most websites are sans-serif fonts. And so when people are reading eBooks, sometimes a sans-serif font is more ideal. Do
0: people... um, should they think about doing different fonts if they're publishing on ebook? Like, if they have a book that they're doing hardcover and ebook, should they?
2: I think ebooks are a little bit different because um, people have the ability to customize their books to exactly oh, what true. they want. Yeah. Um, and so what comes up is that a lot of authors will want to embed the fonts that they like. Right? They mm-hmm. really like it in print. They want it to look the same in ebook. But when you embed fonts. They're not always supported, they don't always render well, and if you force a reader to use the font that you want versus the one they're most comfortable with, you might encounter some issues. I hadn't thought about that either. That leads me to think of a question.
1: How do you design books differently for ebook versus a physical book like what are some key differences what are some like what are some different challenges how what, what's the difference between a physical book and an ebook when it comes to design
2: specifically That's a good question when we talk about ebooks so I will refer to reflowable ebooks so books okay. that will um you know if you're on a different device or you change your font size or your font the text will reflow so that it fits the page well
0: so not a PDF
2: correct or even a, a fixed layout. You'll see fixed layout ebooks for like comic books and, mm, and oh, children's right. books. Um, but for reflowable books, I think simplicity is key, which is hard in self publishing because you have so much control over the whole process and you want it to be beautiful and you want people to have that aesthetic that you got to do in your print book. But things like images can be more challenging in ebooks if you don't know what you're doing. Um, text doesn't reflow well around ebooks, using things like drop caps, where that first letter descends to the first three lines and is nice and big and beautiful, doesn't always work well, doesn't work in some platforms altogether. So keeping it really simple and clean serves your readers. And that's what we want, right? We want people to read. So Ebooks, I think, simple is best. So, so
0: there are some things that you'll read, right? If you're reading a blog or something online, you scroll this way, right? Versus it, then she's that. scrolling. I was up like, and down. wait a second, the re- <laughs> <laughs> listeners can't understand that <laughs> vertical scrolling on your phone or whatever. But most ebooks, you like tap the side and it turns Swipes a page like it's a right. codex. Yeah. Or right to left, left yeah, to right. But I guess most programs do that then automatically.
2: Yeah, most ebook apps and devices will simulate a book, which is turning a page. But page numbers, pages in general, in ebooks are abstract. Um, it's not finite. You know what page 64 is on my book. It's probably not the same one on your book on your on your phone versus your um, you know your iPad or whatever. So understanding that reflowable books have very different um, perceived locations.
0: Which, yeah, I feel like, I don't know now, but back in the early days of reading ebooks, it would tell you you were in like location 1,064 out of some number. And it's just, I feel like now more often, they tell you like how what percent of the book you're through or whatever, which is yes. a little bit more useful. Yeah, or like rough
1: book pages. Yeah.
2: yeah, and Kindle, you can switch between those. You can look at your percentage versus your location versus okay. your page. I think it's more of a reader preference but if you're in like a book club and trying to figure right. out you know what page 64 is for all of us you know, those locations are are much more valuable than the page numbers.
0: All right. So are there any elements of book design that authors should keep in mind when they're writing or revising, like before they're even getting to the formatting page? Kind of like my poets thinking about how their poem is going to look on a printed book versus a eight and a half by 11 word document page.
1: Or like comics where, Mm. you know, panel placement is absolutely key because the page turn is very much a part of the comic book experience.
2: Yeah, I think so for long text documents, uh, you know, your fiction books, even your nonfiction books. I think patterning is really important. So if you have your title and your subtitle, you know, your chapter number and then your chapter title, and then you have a quote or an epigraph, um, you should do that for every chapter, Mm. you know? And if you have scene breaks, you want to style those the same throughout. You really want the reader to, um, as they start reading your book, to understand how you've represented different information And then as they go through, it becomes kind of a a subtle hint about what they're going to expect next. You know, in nonfiction, you'll see things like, um, you know, a subhead will always be titled, styled a certain way. And you have, you might have several layers of subheads, but the way they're styled will tell you what kind of information you're getting, that it's a subset of other information. So I think patterning is really important, structuring your information consistently. And then for something like a comic book or a children's book, Um, Understanding the constraints of what a page will accept, you know, and that's probably more for print. Mm -hmm. Um, But understanding that you only have so much room and that you if you have an image that goes to the edge of a page, you're going to have to include some bleed, (laughs) Mm -hmm. some extra part of the image that isn't going to print. Understanding where your safety margins are so you don't have text too close to the edge because especially in print on demand, trimming and printing aren't exact. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I've so, definitely
0: gotten books where it's like right up to the edge. The yeah.
2: Allowing for those margins of error is a good practice.
1: Is there anything that like, and the answer is probably no, and if it is, that's okay. But is there, is there any like kind of like rule of thumb when it comes to designing for print on demand? Like leave hmm. at least two inches in the margin instead of just one. I, I specifically, when you're talking about it, what specifically comes to my mind are like the little images that people put in scene breaks, like the, the little fancy
2: tildes or yeah, whatever or flourishes. like the three store?
1: yeah are are there any like like recommendations
2: that you have when it comes to things like that yeah there are i mean so i think so margins is a good place to start you know you want to have there's minimum margins required by KDP or Ingram Spark or Lulu um but those are actually really narrow margins and mm-hmm. you could probably almost double them um to have some good comfortable white space on the edge of each page to allow the reader's eye eye to move across that line there are some rules of them. You know, 250 words on a page is sort of the industry standard that may vary quite a bit. Um, but six, you know, 40, 50 to 70 characters on a line is a really comfortable hmm. size. So you may adjust your fonts to fall within that range. and And then think about your audience. You know, is it a younger audience or an older audience? An older audience, you want fewer characters. Things like line spacing, you don't want to Double-spaced is great for editing. It's way too much for a printed yeah. book. Yes, The industry standard is 1.2 or 1.25 lines of spacing. There are things like that that you want to keep in mind that are that you can look up. Um, IBPA has some good standards. Um, there are other places that you can look for book typography that will give you some of those standards. And then like the flourishes, they're wonderful and they add some aesthetic. Make sure that you're using an image that has enough resolution. You don't want it mm-hmm. to be a low-res yes. image because it'll print really poorly. Um, I like black and white images instead of grayscale mm. oh, interesting. because they'll okay. print better generally, especially in print on demand where you don't have a lot of control over ink density and vector type images, you know, line art, not photographs will serve you better.
1: So like at what part of the process does a book designer step in? Mm-hmm. So because there's uh, like there's developmental editing and then there's copy editing and then there's proof editing. And so when should an author ask a book designer to come in? Should it be, like, in between the copy and the proof? Should it be after everything is done? Should it be, like, what What makes your job the easiest?
0: Well, I'll just say first, as an editor, it's not proofreading in le, in le, until after it's gone to a book designer or you've done the book design. But oh, okay. now you should answer. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> <Your perspective. laughs> I, Sorry. I think,
2: there, yeah, it, it gets used differently with different editors and people in the industry. Um, but I think that is actually a good point. You know, usually I will get a manuscript after it has gone through full developmental and probably line editing, and sometimes after proofreading. But what happens is that when you see your manuscript in a different format, maybe in a different font, on a different page size, when things flow differently than you're used to in your Word document or your Google document, things will stand out that you didn't see. Because you've read over it, you know what it's supposed to say, so you almost have to start from scratch reading it in a different format so you see it differently. And so that's why it's really valuable to do proofreading after it's been formatted. Mm -hmm. You still want the manuscript to be in a really solid place before that because if you're making a 10% change in the manuscript after it's been formatted, (laughs) you leave a whole, it can be expensive, it's time consuming, and it leaves a whole lot of room for new errors to be introduced.
0: Yes, that's one of the things proofreading our anthology is you always have to go back and look at it again because changing a few little things can completely change where the line break is for the next thing and
2: Yeah, And I think that it's um, in the indie world, we want our books to be perfect. But I think that if you pick up any book on, you know, from the New York Times bestseller, you will see an error in two. Um, And I think that authors should take comfort in that. You know, there is. Perfection isn't the expectation. (laughs) Excellence is.
0: I feel like I don't know how this applies to book design necessarily, but like editors like to always say that there. There was one study done, you know, I don't know, like a decade ago, but that just found that even the best human editors will miss five percent of things. And so, like, just like that's that sounds like a really big number, doesn't it? (laughs) Um, And uh, so, yeah, you can't have perfection. I mean, the great thing about print-on-demand too is you can fix it. You know, if you find a problem, go Yeah,
2: and... absolutely. I mean that's something that traditional publishers aren't publishers aren't right. going to do. Mm-hmm. It's far too expensive to reproduce a book, but in print on demand, it might be fifty dollars.
1: Yeah. If that a lot of times I feel like it will allow you to make small changes and just let it be, but if you make enough changes that it has to be a second yeah. edition, then that's when...
0: Well, and if you're going to get an, a book designer in to look at it again or whatever, oh, that yeah. can get True. expensive. Yeah. yeah.
2: And and the standard is about 10%. So if you make 10% of changes, then you probably want to do a second edition. But hmm. okay. it, they don't all have to be new editions. Yeah,
1: Going back to fonts, uh, you were mentioning that Times New Roman actually can contribute to eye fatigue. Are there good serif fonts that, you, that are like your default that you go to, depending on which genre that you're in, that are really good for allowing the reader to keep going and not strain their eyesight?
2: Yeah, my my standard is Adobe Caslin Pro. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's a little bit wider. I think it's a comfortable um, spacing. It's a good middle ground. And then I'll I'll change it up if I'm working with a very specific genre. You know, if it's a historical fich- fiction, I might go, maybe not to book Antuca, but it, sort of in that world that has a little bit more traditional, older lines to it. But if it's a sci-fi, I might work with a really a more modern font. But really, you want fonts that are not too wide or too narrow. You want them to be very readable. Sometimes fonts that have very consistent widths throughout, are actually harder to read. Hmm. Interesting. When you talk about um, people with dyslexia, yeah. Comic Sans is actually an incredible font because all of the letter care or the letter shapes are all very different, and so it's very easy to pick up. But if you look at, say, Gotham, where a lot of the font or the characters are very similar looking. It's much more challenging for somebody with dyslexia to separate those letter forms.
0: I mean, there have been some fonts developed specifically to help with dyslexia, right? Or do you find that
2: those are? Absolutely. I find that those are probably not very good for long documents. I think that people who have Strong reading challenges are probably leaning towards ebooks so that they can really adapt it yeah, to so how they, they read it. well. And accessibility is becoming a big movement in the ebook world.
0: Yeah. I was just thinking that must be great to be able to change the font so that it's something. Yeah. Change the fonts, change
2: the background color. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, change the font size. All of those are really helpful for people who have challenges.
0: So I was just thinking about fonts. I, I feel like a lot of people don't realize that like fonts are like copyrighted or licensed or whatever, too. So is that something that you take care of? Or does the author have to make sure they have the rights to use a font?
2: Yeah, if I have a font in my collection, it is licensed for commercial use. And that is really important. It's not something that's been enforced in the past, but it's becoming a bigger um, focus of of type foundries because they put a lot of (laughs) time and effort and resources into producing high-quality fonts. And there is a difference in licensing between print, website, and eBooks. So if you want to use a font, in different places in different mediums yeah exactly um you need to make sure that those those fonts are licensed for commercial use there are there are some great resources for free commercial fonts Uh, font squirrel is a great one especially for really stylized chapter title fonts not necessarily for body text fonts Um, but if you have adobe products and you have access to Adobe fonts, if you're part of the Creative Cloud, you have access to their entire library, mm. which is thousands of fonts, and they are all commercially licensed.
0: Okay, what about like, things in Word, or those probably aren't, right?
2: Most fonts in Word are sort of in the public domain, okay. Creative Commons, because they're, ju- they're used so prevalently. So you can use them, not all of them work well for long documents.
0: Should you just Google the font that you're using, basically, and, and find the license for it?
2: If you haven't purchased a license, I would go to the, the Type Foundry themselves, you know, whoever is the creator of that font and see if it is freeware or free for commercial use. And if not, then you definitely want to purchase a license. And those can be anywhere from like $9 to $79 or even more. So it's really important to be careful about what fonts you're using if you want to use them commercially.
0: And want to be legal about it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe the most important question we have is where should writers go to get more help with book design. I feel like I feel like there's two parts of this. Like one, if they don't think they can afford a book designer, where can they go? But two, where do they find
2: book designers? Like they can find you, but yeah, it's book design is kind of a weird niche. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easy to find a cover artist. Uh, you find a lot of editors who do some formatting, um, but I think True. it's a generally a different level than what I might yeah. do. That's a good question. Where do you go to find designers? <laughs> <laughs> I think working you know with your industry professionals most of you know I work with editors and cover artists, I work with some legal professionals all the time and really talking to those people um, to find out who their colleagues are, who, who have their clients used that they're really happy with? Um, I think word of mouth is always really valuable in this industry because the quality of what you get is so across the board. So really having word of mouth testimonials is a major value to really finding professionals that are good to work with. Are
0: book designers mentioned in like the copyright page or anything ever? Like, is Can you look that up?
2: Often, yeah. Okay. Um, I, I'm usually listed as an interior designer. But we also end up in the acknowledgements a lot. So that's kind of
0: what I was going to say. Maybe, like, find some books that you like how they look on the inside and go see, you know, who did it and, you know, see what their rates are.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Reach out to authors and and see if it's not listed. But um, that is a really good – that's a good idea. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) Are
1: there – are there maybe not standard rates, but is there, like, kind of like a ballpark of what people – can expect to pay for a book design? Or does it really depend project to project depending on like how much they do up front versus how much you need to help them with? Or like how how does how does pricing
2: work when it comes to book design? Um, I think that your, your higher level professionals are always going to start with your word count. Pricing is across the board. There are people who can do and okay job for $50 for your print and digital, and it's out the door. Mm-hmm. Um, on the far end of the spectrum, you've got people who are doing print for 3000 So it's a really wide range, which isn't helpful <laughs> to yeah. most authors, right? But it is those referrals. It is looking at the quality of the work, really um, spending some time looking at traditionally published books and, and, and comparing them to the work that you're seeing out there to see if you're getting the same caliber, um, a- and if it matters. Maybe mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if this is a personal project right. to you, and you just want to get it out there so your friends and family can order it, and you don't have the money to invest, and you don't care that much about meeting you know those higher level standards. Pay fifty dollars. Right. There's no need to pay you know three thousand or five thousand dollars if it's just a personal project. Mm. That's
0: the only kind of formatting I've done is when it's like they're like, yeah, I'm just printing twenty copies for my friends and family, and I'm like, cool. I can I can format that. And, yeah.
2: But yeah. I'm not
0: gonna because I'm not good at. I don't know all these little things. So.
2: <laughs> but if you really want to be you know, professional, if you want to be perceived as a professional author, you want your books to sit next to you know, Stephen King or Anne Rice, then you have to make the investment. And whether that's a financial investment or it's learning yeah. all of that or spending the time really going back and forth trying to figure it out, those are, there's an investment in being professional. And sometimes it's worth paying somebody <laughs> for the stress and the time and the, you know, the revisions or whatever.
0: I feel like that's the key thing if you're a self-published author is figure out which things you're willing and interested in learning and taking the time on. The things that you aren't interested or willing to learn, that's where you go and pay someone. And, and it's going to be a different things for different different authors. Absolutely. So do you have some like good websites or something to point people to, to the ones who are interested in learning some of the techniques themselves?
2: Yeah. I, the book designer actually does has some good templates. He has some good information on his website. IBPA um, mm-hmm. is a fantastic resource for all things independent publishing. I don't have the names of the books offhand. But there are some, you know, if you actually look at some of the older books on book typography, they are very specific to book typography And they are more finite standards than we use today. Hmm. But they're a really fantastic place to start to understand how typesetting was done and why it was done the way it was done. And I will say that I am a big fan of breaking rules. Hmm. But I think knowing what rules you're breaking and having a good reason to do that is super helpful. I mean, if you want to use Comic Sans in your book and you have a good reason for it it. Right. But have a good reason for yeah. it.
0: <laughs> that's pretty much what I say about editing, too. Like everything, I'll tell you what the rule is. You can break it if you have a good reason and you do it well. That's the other key thing.
2: Yeah. Yes, it is. But that's self-publishing, right? You yeah. have the control. You can do whatever makes your heart sing, you mm-hmm. know. So at the end of the day, it is your choice. Do do what you want. I was going to say, I just have more very specific I know. I, that's what I was
0: thinking, too, because I was, I was thinking, like, do you work with widows and orphans? That's a technical term <laughs> that comes up with editors, and I'm like, maybe people don't actually care about that.
1: How do you handle things like, as a fantasy writer, things that I care about, how do you handle things like maps in a oh. book or, like, genealogy trees or... Uh, If we want to go modern, how do you handle designing, like, text messages? Like, Mm, what information do you include? What information do you not? Like, is that something that... Can we do
0: emojis in the books now? Like, I have a client, and she always just, like, in text messages, she just puts it in parentheses, like, heart emoji
2: or whatever. I'm like, can we just put the actual emoji in now? (laughs) I mean, I don't like the emojis, but... (laughs) (laughs) No, those are are all really good questions. So I would say, you know, emojis, if it's the right book, if that resonates with your audience... Absolutely, include them. Um, It's more challenging in eBooks because those may not translate. You might Mm -hmm. have to convert them to images for them to render as the emojis. But going to maps and the graphic elements that contribute to like a fantasy book, Part of that is understanding how pages are printed and understanding that books are not printed page by page. They're printed on signatures. Um, so it might be 16 pages that are all printed on a sheet of paper and then folded up, glued Sized. together, and trimmed. So understanding that there's that gap in the in the gutter that may or may not fill in well for the reader. So you have to make some compensation. You know, You might have to repeat part of that map on the second page so that the reader gets to see everything so it's not cut off. Knowing that if it's going to be a full-bleed image, if it goes to the edge of the page... You need to have space at the edge of the pages so that it, nothing gets cut off.
0: And um, like the, the sixteen thing you're talking about, the signatures, because I, I was wondering if that is still a, a, a important thing. Like I remember. You used to have to like if you're writing a children's book, like you don't do more than 32 pages because that's a multiple of 16 and it turns out well. But but some of those pages have to be title pages, don't they? And anyway, so yeah,
2: uh, so um, signatures will vary depending on the printer, and they can vary depending even on the platform that you want. Okay. So I think Ingram is on four to six page signatures. It'll it'll really depend if you, you know if you go to independent an offset press, you might find that you're on a 16 or 32 page press. It'll vary, but it does. You're definitely need Need to have multiples of two, okay. and then for KDP and Ingram Spark, they expect a blank page at the end, okay, so that they can put their barcode in. If you have, you know, 122 pages, and you have to leave that, you know, they're gonna they're going to add the blank page if they need to, and it may bump you up to another signature, hmm. which means that you'll have three or four blank pages at the end.
1: Oh, is that why? <laughs> oh, okay. Because I yeah. was always
2: curious about
1: that. Like, oh, this one just has three randoms at the end. Yeah, it's a mechanical
2: <laughs> production kind of thing, but that's. That's why that happens.
0: Is there a way you can find out that? I guess just just Google ha- the signature or whatever. Um, yeah, a lot of.
2: I think both Ingram and KDP give you a, a parameter for okay. how many pages multiples, and then they'll impacts your cover as well. So if you have to add and if it ad- they add four pages, you might have to adjust your cover for your spine width.
0: Which is why, like back to your thing you were saying of don't you you want to get as much of your editing done as possible beforehand because yeah you could end up having to change a few if you have to change. More than a few little things, then suddenly you have to get a
1: bigger cover and cutting three pages at the end after you're done, and then you're <laughs> like right in the middle of a signature. oh yeah. that could be, yep, oof, or right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: things oh, you man. don't think about. No, but hopefully you will now.
2: Yes, definitely. I know. I certainly will. <laughs> you did ask about text messages, though. Mm which I wanted to come back to because it's become much more common. Um, And authors are sort of formatting them different ways, but I tend to offset them from the rest of the text. And I will often, especially in... um, Fiction will change the font hmm. for those. I want it to be really obvious to the reader that we have switched right. gears. This isn't, you know, part of the story. It's clip from this, or you know, it's an offset from the story. You're reading the text message, right? But it's being done in a variety of different ways.
0: Yeah, I think I've seen some. Like they even do the full little bubble that sometimes you have on your phone, versus you yeah, just have the text just like written the out. the names in bold yeah. or
1: something, or like I've seen the yeah. name in bold and then the message. I've seen like the name, the timestamp, and yeah. I, I've seen some really confusing ones that it's just like me, you,
2: me, you, but then we'll switch to another point of view. And <laughs> so like, the Wait, me, you me? switches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, and I, I lean towards more simple. I don't like the text bubbles look cool. Um, but are they distracting?
0: Yeah. Are they going to be know? hard to format or like make uniform?
2: To yeah. Them? And they can be and they They don't translate as well to e-books. eBooks.
0: Yeah. Oh, thank you. That was a lot of, Great information, right? I'm gonna refer back to this episode a lot when they're designing their books. I um, mean, I will. Like, my brain is like just <laughs> like full right now of like, oh man, what have I been doing?
2: <laughs> well, I geek out on this stuff, so I'm glad enjoyed it.
0: Yes, and I think that's pretty much out of time now. So it was great wrapping up of our discussion. Thanks so much for joining us. I yes, thank you. I love talking about this stuff. So, my um, uh, do we have a question for our listeners? Today. Oh, I do. Sorry, unless you have one. Go for it. I think I referenced this in an earlier episode, but I remember I read two different biographies of the same person. And like when I opened the second one, I could tell like that the book design had been much more like intentional than the other one. Anyway, so um, maybe what is a book that you've read that you really liked how it was laid out? And we can take a look at some
1: examples of good design. Let us know at our social links in the description. Stay sharp, my friends. Stay sharp. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Writing Forge, a Writing Heights podcast brought to you by Nagano Press. To learn more about The Writing Forge, check out our social links in the episode description. Subscribe to The Writing Forge wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to rate and review. For more informational writing content, be sure to become a Writing Heights member.